Hey guys, Ethan here. I know we're all going through tough times with the quarantine, so I wanted to read out some of the emails that I've been getting uh, to, to do passengers. We've been asked to do this movie a, a bunch of times, so here's one uh, from Jake420. Uh, he says, hey, how about you do passengers and stop being such an assengers? And, and yes, I am talking about you, Ethan, specifically. Wow. Okay, so that's a little bit um, that's a little bit rude. But hey, I, thank you for writing in. Thank you for being a, a fan of the podcast. I'll, I'll read another one. This one is from EconFreak420. Wow, another 420. Um, hey, love the show. I am a scientist with multiple PhDs, and I love listening to the show, except for when Ethan talks, that guy is scum. I really hope you do the movie Passengers, and don't let Ethan talk. He's a passenger. Wow. Okay, so another, <laughs> another passenger pun there making fun of me okay well maybe let's just we'll save this for another time and i'll actually sort through them and, and maybe i'll pick a few instead of just reading them randomly and and let's just get right into the episode and stop this experiment bad science did the movie get it right bad science or will we have to fight Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bad Science. I'm Ethan Edinburgh, your host. And today we're talking about the 2016 movie Passengers, which we've been requested to do a few times and I thought was a flop, but apparently it made $200 million, I learned this morning. So it's in my estimates, a very successful film. Anyways, I have two really cool guests who uh, hopefully think that I'm cool by the end of the show. Uh, the first one I'm lucky enough to call a friend. He is the co-founder of the contemporary clothing and lifestyle brand Pyre and an immensely talented rapper. It's Northview. Hey, hey, hey. I like that intro. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you might like it for now, but you haven't heard the second intro, so that might make you feel a little shitty okay, by comparison. Okay, yeah. Damn. Oh. Damn. Wait a all right, let's go. Let me let's the second one in. Well, listen, before we get to it, um, Brian, who I may, I may call you Brian throughout the podcast because, like I said, we do go back a little bit. We met in a private karaoke isolation pod. I don't know what those rooms are actually called, uh, but but you did not perform karaoke no, at that at that meeting. So so I was curious, what is your go to karaoke track? Um, my go to karaoke track would probably have to be like Usher. Uh, Ooh. Usher. Um, it would probably either be like Confessions or something like a popular Usher song, just because Usher's my favorite singer. Yep. He's like my biggest like idol. I would say. Wow, like, I didn't know that. Like biggest like music influence, I would say is Usher, and then it would be like Tupac and then Biggie, of course. But like Usher was definitely like the first person that really got me into music. So like I'll say Usher. Man, so cool. I remember when I first saw My Way, that music video, and I was like, man, Usher's like the coolest guy in the world. Yeah. Um, so anyway, our second guest here is a film and television producer whose credits include Ted, Ted 2, Stuart Little, Stuart Little 2, The Orville, and many more. But for our purposes today, he's the executive producer of 2014's Cosmos, A Space-Time Odyssey, and the upcoming series Cosmos, Possible Worlds. It's Jason Clark. Hey. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I'm still reacting to uh, the, the usher, but all realizing that <laughs> I don't know him well enough. And I'm talking to Brian, who holds him at the highest level. I need to I need to get a go to karaoke track in the first place. And damn, I don't know if I could ever sing an usher song. Man. Well, listen, if you want, we can pause right here, take about a week off and you can just go down in an usher rabbit hole yeah. i'm excited to be here thank you for having me yeah of course no we are excited to have you on and i was gonna ask you what your go-to karaoke track is but you kind of just automatically admitted that you don't have one is that true it, it, it's kind of true to be honest with you i'm intimidated by karaoke so uh i don't have a great singing voice mm. and so i i get there and i get very nervous when i was a kid um i suffered from dyslexia when i was young so i'm a slow reader a little bit and so I always get nervous. I'm going to mix it up and I get nervous trying to read on the fly. Mm. But more importantly, I just don't have the voice for it. And I, I embarrass myself. Well, hey, honestly, and this might be controversial and I don't care. I've never liked karaoke. I don't I am a singer, but it doesn't matter. The whole environment, I think, is conducive to the wrong type of hang. It's just a bunch of people that aren't great at singing, like screaming into a microphone and getting drunk, <laughs> which I don't really do. I don't know, man. It just seems like a terrible idea. It's definitely an acquired things. You won't find me there. Uh, Brian, I apologize in advance that you won't find me in the <laughs> uh, karaoke moment. Oh, trust me. I, 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 don't, I don't think I'm the type of person to really uh, go out of my way to go do karaoke. You wouldn't really but find you guys me. Are like, yeah. Yeah, the, <laughs> you guys are like musicians. It's like, you know, 
hey, this is our job. We don't want to go out on Saturday night and do a job, do we? There's very specific conditions to doing your job. That'd be like you going to produce some sort of spelling bee or something. Right, or take pitches uh, on Saturday night. You're going to get up, you're going to pitch us in 15 minutes, the new episodes of Cosmos. Yeah, the new episodes of Cosmos are going to get pitched to you by uh, an eighth grader who's also wasted, and we're going to give him a microphone, and he's never pitched anything before. that, That guy, that kid can really do some great work. Yeah, and also, maybe that's an idea for a TV show. Maybe we should watch that. That actually sounds good. (laughs) Anyways, I don't know how you feel, Northview. I love Cosmos. I'm a huge fan of this show. I'm not saying it because you're on the podcast today. I just legitimately, I watched it twice, the first one. I'm very excited for the new one. So we got to talk about that. Obviously, we're going to talk about passengers. We're going to talk about all things space and being stuck in a uh, induced stasis, uh, if you will. But I do have to ask about the show. First of all, how long does it take the show to make? Like, have you guys been working on the new one since 2014, since the last one came out? Yeah, almost. Well, not really. I mean, from the beginning of uh, 2017, we started it, but it's a multi-year process. And obviously, Andrew Ian, who is the co-creator of Cosmos with Carl Sagan, the very first one in 1980, and has been our kind of creative leader, uh, and it's really her show in the last two seasons, she starts curating stories. I would say, yes, she started right after that. There are so many brilliant stories that need to be weaved together to create 13 hours of this kind of science show that's unprecedented because it kind of wanders uh, through the truth. It doesn't give you a direct line. It's not like today's episode is brought to you by oxygen. It's kind of, or the sun or something. She really is an incredible storyteller and she weaves these stories together. So it takes a long time for her to conceptualize which stories fit together and how um, that take you to these kind of great uh, realizations about uh, you know who we are, where we come from and the world we live in. So I, it does take a long time. It takes many years. I mean, I think we worked on the first one four years and this one approximately four years too. And it's shot around the world. So there's that piece of it. And, you know, if you're shooting a goose rolling an egg or, a, or bees migrating, it takes months and months. Yeah, but um, photography. And, and I don't want to tell you how to do your job, of course. Um, however, a lot of the show, you know, he's on a spaceship. It's, you know, CGI based. I mean, can't you guys just put DeGrasse Tyson on a green screen and be like, oh, I'm in Italy, blah, blah, blah. Well, we do a lot of that. Believe me, we take care, you know, first of all, we go to places you can't go. So we have to do that. Right. Um, out, you know, diving into the seas of Enceladus or whatever. But the reality is, is that, um, yeah, we do we do a fair amount of that. But the plates that if we're if we're shooting plate photography elsewhere, if we're going into a course, we try to be as authentic as possible. So a shooting unit actually goes there. And if we go to Moscow and there needs to be snow, we have to wait for the snow. So there's all kinds of uh, stories. Wow. We were in, um, in Alaska and we had to wait for collapsing. There's a, a particular place last season where the cliffs collapsed. We actually had to go out there and wait for that. But we also had to have filming conditions that allowed us to film it when it happened. Yeah. There's quite a bit um, subject to real nature in yeah. the filming of Cosmos, even though some of it can be green screened and put together. That way. Well, it's an unbelievable show, as I'm sure you know uh, more than anybody, and I can't tell you how excited I am for it. Um, but uh, I wanted to jump for a second before we get into Passengers and... Uh, <laughs> I know I'm I'm building this up, but so you also produced 1995's Sudden Death with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And for those who don't know about that movie, I'm going to read the log line. Brian, do you know about this movie? I do not know about this movie. I didn't know about it either. Uh, the log line, <laughs> the log line of this movie is a former fireman takes on a group of terrorists holding the vice president and others hostage during the seventh game of the NHL Stanley Cup Finals. So, yeah. just based on that, I got to see this movie. That sounds great. And I wanted to know if you had any Jean Claude Van Damme stories because I hear he's quite the character. Honestly, I did three movies Whoa. with Van Damme. I did Sudden Death. I did a movie, The Quest, that he actually directed. Whoa. Yeah, I did two movies with Dolph Lundgren. So I have this I have this past in uh, these action movies. Uh, Van Damme stories. Uh, just a remarkable kind of character. In one of these, he was the director, and his kind of vision for what the movie should be was always changing and <laughs> exciting. But um, he was of a different era. It was a, a different time. Sudden death, one of our partners was a minority owner of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh. And so we got to shoot it at the Civic Arena. So there was, we actually shot the arena. And at one point we had to drop a helicopter from the ceiling of the arena. So we had to suspend it over these cranes and drop it. 
but it was dropping right on the ice. And um, there was this kind of, you know, absolute terror that we were somehow going to hit the ice with this, you know, multi-ton object uh, that was free falling on these descenders <laughs> and destroy the Pittsburgh Civic Arena. So um, we managed to avoid that, but we also managed to film the one time there was a lockout from the owners to the players. So right as we're approaching it, we have no professional players for these, you know, 30 pages of hockey that take place on the ice. So it was, um, it was, it was compelling, Man. but Van Dam, I don't really, uh, it was a wild ride and I, I loved him. I loved working with him and he took me around the world on those movies. I, I shot in every conceivable country uh, at a time in the nineties when it was really exciting to travel to places like China and try to make a deal with the Beijing film studios. Man. So, Man, that sounds That's yeah. That, you sounds like a whole. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about Tiger King a little before the podcast. It sounds like you have a whole documentary just you know about what you've been through all these all these adventures. I would love to see a helicopter almost destroy a hockey stadium. Yeah, I, I, I tell you, it was uh, it was a very tense uh, a day of filming. But um, what's the guy's name? Joe Exotic. Joe Exotic has nothing on Jean Claude Van Damme. Jean Jean Claude <laughs> Van Damme stories are m- much more uh, wild, but also you know. Van Damme is such an authentic character in a lot of ways. It, it's it's really quite amazing. Yeah. So I really I have a really fond place uh, in my heart for working with him. At one point, though, I finally had to put my hand up and say, "Hey, I have to to move on." But I got to meet all of the great Hong Kong filmmakers of the '90s through my experience with him. Remember, he directed Hard uh, uh, John Woo directed Hard Target with Van Damme. It was his first English speaking movie. Yeah. I worked with a producer named Moshe Diamant who brought John Woo uh, Wu Ping the martial arts master, Choi Ha, who is, you know, basically the Spielberg of Hong Kong and China. You know, all of these filmmakers I got to know and work with, and it was was a great time. Man, so awesome. Uh, Yeah, I love Van Damme, and I'm going to have to get a list from you after this about those Hong Kong movies. I got to go down that hole. And you got to start listening to a bunch of Usher. Yes, (laughs) I'm doing it. (laughs) Um, Okay, so... Passengers, had you guys seen this movie prior to me asking you to see this movie? Yes. Yeah, I've I've seen that movie once, but I had to rewatch it. Okay, sorry about that. Just uh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So you both had seen it already. Uh, yes. Okay. What were your? But thoughts? I had to rewatch it too. What, what were your thoughts when you first saw it? For me, at least, I I mean, I was I was a fan of it mainly because of Jennifer Lawrence. I always thought that she was a good actor, but like I kind of liked the concept of it. I didn't really um, the science aspect of it though, like kind of tripped me out a little bit. Well, what do you mean? Which aspect? Just being asleep for like 150 years, and then you know the concept of time between space and Earth always tripped me out too. Like I don't really understand that either. Like yeah, that was confusing, and I definitely made that note also as far as like so they're just not aging, but they're not frozen because usually that's. How we show that, I guess. Um, But yeah, Jason, what were your thoughts on the movie? When I heard about the movie, I was like, oh my God, I got to see this. And then the trailers came out and they dropped and you would look at them and go, that's the most beautiful looking thing. I mean, the design of the movie is gorgeous. And this kind of super ship out in space for this incredibly long journey and only two people. So there's this kind of wish fulfillment of like, imagine having at your disposal all of these things. And then I, I saw the movie and I had, I, had, I had a hold back on it because I felt like, I don't know, like the guy short circuits this poor girl's pod, wakes her up. So already I don't like this guy. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I would have wished that he was trying to fix it and somehow it got, right. but somehow I understand his desires and why he does it. But at the same time, I, I never really got past that in the storytelling. And then the science part of it also trips me out. It's like, who signs up for that mission? Okay, guys, you're going to go on this trip. It's how long? Well, it's about a 150-year bus ride. Wow. What are we, how does that work? I get that, that you're supposed to be. And also, where do they come up with that timeline? How fast are they going? They're going half the speed of light, someone says. I don't know if that helps you at all, uh, but did, someone did say that. Yeah, so I guess at half the speed of light. Again, and then how do you slow down something going half the speed of light to arrive at the bus stop? <laughs> I was wondering that. Like, what do you do? I mean, there's an engine on one side. Do you turn the ship around and start firing the other direction? Can you turn a ship around that's going half the speed of light? And if you do, where's the force field that's in the front of it? Is it then in the back of it? So what are you running into? If you run into space dust, does it, does it riddle the ship with 
I, I don't know. I, I know there's not a lot out in space, but I, I mean, honestly, the last thing you mentioned was my biggest issue with the movie. Uh, I enjoyed the movie. I, I thought for some reason it was going to be way worse just because I think maybe I've heard people like make fun of it, but I'd never seen it. So I was like, oh, well, whatever. Maybe it's just a bad flick. But it was fine. It was entertaining. But this thing that happens at the beginning where the spaceship, they show you how hyper advanced it is. I mean, it's certainly like way in the future. Our technology is like off the charts, apparently. But it doesn't see that there's a debris field. It like drives right into a field of asteroids and meteors. And then there's like a huge one that hits it. And it just has no way of stopping that or going around it. That that part to me was like so silly. Yeah. And the other thing that I noticed is the engines on the whole time, mm -hmm. which I think in space, you're in this vacuum. And there's a part of it where you go, okay, a debris field, but how much debris is in space? Right. From what I understand, there's a lot of space in space. Yep. And yep. the chances of hitting something are pretty limited. But obviously, if you hit something at half the speed of light, it can be catastrophic. I mean, you know, I got to say, it didn't look like it was going that fast when it showed it hitting that big rock. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless that rock's also flying. I was also confused. Why didn't they have like, people in a movie that would like wake up like i guess like at certain periods of time you know because 150 years or whatever the number was is a long time for nobody to wake up to check on everything <laughs> i thought that was kind of crazy too like yeah they i think said, they put um, a little too much trust in the technology on the movie yeah they said a few times like when when he wakes up in the error and he's asking like why isn't anybody awake what's going on and everybody's just like oh because the systems run perfectly there are no errors but yet they have like a bunch of crew and there's five thousand people so i don't know it would seem like you would want some sort of fail safe there and then also i had an issue i'm sorry now i feel like i'm just complaining about the movie which i did enjoy <laughs> but the nobody can go back into the pod like, once you're up, you're up, and it's over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Aren't there spare pods? Like, when you have some spare pods, hey, listen, something went wrong. Bobby woke up. He's got to go back to sleep. Because if you do wake up, you do face the 90-year sentence of being awake alone. But I will say that I think, and I don't want to complain about the movie either, because I think it's beautiful, and it's this kind of, I thought that the filmmaking in it was terrific. I love the scale of the ship and the design yeah. of it. And we can say, well... You know, if you have something of that mass, the swimming pools and everything, and you're trying to get that to half the speed of light, I can't imagine the amount of power you have to put into that and the technology that would be involved. But once you're there at half the speed of light, then, you know, you would probably shut off the motors because you would be traveling. And if there's a fuel involved, you wouldn't want to be burning that fuel because there would be some limitation to it. Yeah. No, there was, there was definitely a few kind of odd things that I was trying to ignore. I mean, I wrote them down because I'm also taking notes, but I was trying to just ignore to enjoy the film. Well, okay. So the first, if you haven't seen the movie, essentially... Chris Pratt's character, who I don't remember his name, and that's a bad sign for me as a host and for the movie. Um, so he wakes up. He's the only person that wakes up in this ship. He's going to be on it for 90 more years. And he basically tries everything to like wake other people up. It doesn't work. And so now he has this option. He has this choice because he like falls in love with the idea of Jennifer Lawrence's character, uh, Aurora. And... He does it. Obviously, he wakes her up and they have a whole... I mean, here's a huge twist and spoiler for you. They they end up together. They make out and stuff in the movie. Nobody saw that coming. I and did not. I mean, I was so surprised when the movie said Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt. In this movie, I said, clearly, she's going to end up with Michael Sheen or Lawrence Fishburne. And she's not ending up with Chris Pratt. I know. I didn't... It was such a... It was like a typical like game of thrones level twist <laughs> i was uh losing it yeah. freaking out i'm not gonna lie kind of wanted to see that relationship happen anyhow it was well well cast in my but we also in, didn't in my... see the relationship of lawrence fishburne and jennifer lawrence so who knows which one would have been better <laughs> point taken point taken my friend my first question to you guys is what would you do if you're you know, uh, I mean, I can't, you probably can't get into the mindset of somebody who has to spend a long time in isolation. I mean, why would any of us ever do that? But he's dancing, he's drinking, he eats, eventually he breaks down and needs human contact. So A, can you guys relate to this in our current uh, pandemic? And also, would you buckle, do you think, and wake somebody up or, you know, attempt to kill yourself as he does in this movie? Yeah. That's a hard question. Thank you. 
I feel like I feel like for me personally, I probably would have done the same thing as him mm-hmm. and just woke somebody up and said, <laughs> I, honestly, no, no, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say <laughs> I would woke the whole ship up <laughs> if I had to. But <laughs> that would doom everybody. <laughs> um, but no, I think that I would I would have woke somebody up at least too. Just because that human contact, like you, you kind of need that, especially in a situation like that. Um, that's really tough. Yeah, it's a really tough situation to be in. I agree. I would have. I would have. I, I um, you know, first of all, it, it goes to the earlier question of like, you wish they would have had somebody. I mean, it's like it's like asking Siri questions. They keep misunderstanding him in the beginning of the movie. I mean, there has mm-hmm. to be some kind of emergency protocol mm-hmm. that can be reached. So uh, I would have searched for that. And I know this is a enormous ship, 500 meters in diameter or whatever it's supposed to be. But I would have hoped there would have been some kind of, if you have a problem, dial zero, you know? And there was like, <laughs> well, nobody's awake and I'm the only one here. But, but he kind of confronts the idea that the ship never planned on this, uh, this kind of event. If that had happened to me and I had exhausted all other avenues, I think I would... I would be compelled to wake up, you know, and I know he tries the crew. He can't get into the crew room for whatever reason that's blocked off. Yeah. But I, I would have, I would have woken somebody up too. And he tries to send a message and they say, well, <laughs> at the speed of light, the message is going to take 55 years to get back to, you know, to get answered because it's going to take like 10 years to get there and then 35 years to get back. So I, I can't remember the timeline that they put forth there. Yeah. Which gives you the indication of how far they've traveled in the 30 years with 90 years left to go. Yeah, I think I probably would have also woken somebody up and maybe based on expertise, like he's an engineer type guy. So maybe I would have found some sort of, I don't know, communications person or like some sort of tech guy and been like, all right, I'm this might be terrible, but I'm going to wake up people that can help me brainstorm a way to fix this. I was also thinking, yeah. is there like a, there's nothing in between Earth and where they're going, which seems impossibly far. Like there's no halfway like rest stop type planet. Or I mean, I don't know. It just seems weird as we slowly get into commercial space travel that there wouldn't be some, like if you're going to Mars, maybe you can stop at the moon. I don't know. I mean, you know, look, there's... um the closest planet that could possibly be an exoplanet is Proxima Centauri b. And it is a planet circling Proxima Centauri. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, I don't know how many light years away it is. 12. But if you're traveling at the, at the current, is it 12? It is 12, my friend. Yeah. So if you're, so you're, that's 24 years away. So my first question is, where were they going, you know, at, at half the speed of light? Actually, at the current limitation of uh, 150,000 miles per hour, whatever our current spacecraft limitation is, it would take tens of thousands of years to get there. Wow. So the, the question really becomes, would that be the rest stop? And by the way, what is the planet they're going to in relationship to that? Is, it, is that out of your way? You know, you don't want to kind of go out of your way to of course. the rest stop. Yeah, no, that's true. That's annoying. Somebody has to pee or something. You got to go, oh, 12 light years this way. <laughs> Gee, that sucks. Um, I also want to mention that that is the closest, like you said, the you know closest thing to Earth that we have found in the universe. And it's thousands and thousands of years away. So I guess it's kind of important that we take care of the Earth. So in case you're wondering like how vital is like environmental stuff like that should be a pretty high priority because i think based on that if we ruin the earth we're like super screwed totally. yeah just in case you guys completely disagreed <laughs> wait so what's that you said that there is a planet that's how many years away from earth well it's it's it takes uh 12 years for light to travel from earth to that so if you sent a radio signal it would get there in 12 years or if you flash your, yeah. you know, your laser beam at it, it would get there in 12 years. And if they got that message and sent it back. So any messages take 24 years round trip um, to, to send there because we have not learned how to travel beyond the speed of light. Any large object, we haven't learned how to travel at 50% the speed of light. We don't have the amount of energy to create it. And if we did, we believe that would happen at the solar sail uh, level so something very thin unmanned craft without a lot of mass because we could accelerate using you know there's this kind of theory that we can use land-based lasers 
uh, and we can point these lasers uh, at a portion of the sky, night sky, and if we send these chip-sized spacecraft, the size of like a computer chip, and we wrap them in something that could be like a three meter uh, large, thin, super thin, almost cellophane, incredibly thin solar sail, the laser light could hit those sails the same way wind hits sails in Earth. And that wind that that light would be creating, that light would accelerate those sails. If we turn off the light, Holy crap. The sails would be traveling in a friction-free environment and increasing in speed. So we could get these spacecraft, unmanned spacecraft, tiny chip-sized thing, send a thousand or multiple thousands of them up there, bang them with this uh, laser light, this, this terrestrial-based laser array, like spectacular amount of energy, get them accelerated to a speed that could be approaching a third the speed of light. Now this craft in passengers was traveling half the speed of light. So I'm not sure how you take something with that mass, that scale that they designed so beautifully in the movie and get it yeah. accelerated to that, to, uh, to that speed. But the issue with the plane I'm telling you, which is based in real science and, and NASA is that once you get to Proxima B, which a third of the speed of light means it's a 36 year journey, as we were, it's if it's 12 light years away, you got to take pictures of it. Now, part of these, the reason to send an array of these craft, these tiny craft, is because some of them are going to be wiped out by solar dust, even. You know, when you're traveling, when you're a tiny chip on this cellophane thin, large disc of sail, and you hit a piece of dust, it's going to tear you apart at a third of the speed of light. That's, you know. Hey. So, how do you slow down when you get there to take the picture is the problem. Hey, I'm yeah. traveling really fast. Oh, past it. <laughs> Man, that's wild. Yeah. And then to send the pictures back take 12 years. Yeah, <laughs> so that's, we're, we're a long ways away. We're very primitive in space travel, uh, I think. Not to insult anybody who works in space travel, but, you know, as far as getting to another planet, uh, Proxima Centauri B specifically, it seems like we're, we're quite a ways away. And that's the closest that we've identified that could be in the habitable zone. Yikes. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go, back to the show about science. Okay, so before we continue, I have a quick game that I'm calling Can You Pass This Quizengers? So, uh, that was a pun. And <laughs> uh, was it good? <laughs> No, no, it wasn't. Much better when you were pointed it out that it was a pun. Yeah. I, I typically try to think of them like within 10 seconds, and I, for some reason, have this weird masochistic joy that they're so bad. Um, but anyways, I'll ask a question. I'll have you, uh, Brian, answer first, and okay. and we'll see how many you guys can get right. Uh, it's all space-related stuff. Oh, so, man, this is not... This, this is not for me. I'm putting you on the spot, brother. I swear I don't get... Okay, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> okay. What is the hottest planet in the solar system? I don't know. Isn't that... Well, is No. I mean, would the sun be considered a planet? I don't know if the sun is considered a planet. The sun is but, a star, my friend. So, yeah, I can't answer that for you, bro. <laughs> don't Google it. Jason? I don't know. Uh, Venus or Mercury? I don't know. Which I, I know Venus is super hot because of the... Greenhouse runaway greenhouse gas effect. That is but, true. Which is it? I, I, I will give you uh, the point. It is Venus. Oh, yeah. There you go. Mercury is closest to the sun. So uh, I was hoping somebody would guess that wrong, but we didn't get there. But, but, but <laughs> didn't we land? A, didn't, didn't the Russians land a spacecraft on me? They say like you can cook a pizza on the windshield of your car in about the uh, like twelve seconds. In the, it's super hot, right? Crazy, it's like crazy hot. Yeah, I don't have pizza. the numbers in yeah, front yeah. of me, but it it's a GD lava zone. Yeah, you can make pizzas there all day, which actually, that sounds great. <laughs> Malay's pizza. That's the reason to go. 800 degree pizza. That's worth <laughs> the trip right there. Absolutely. I like my pizzas real toasty. Okay, the planet... Yeah, totally burnt. I want my pizzas black. I want them charred. I want them to fall apart when I pick them up. The planet with the most likely chance of life in our solar system. That's Mars, right? That is Mars. Quick one, Brian. Love it. Well done. When is the next time... Halley's Comet will pass by the Earth. I don't even know what Halley's Comet is. I'll be honest. Very cool. I love your honesty. <laughs> I don't know. 30 years? I don't know. I that, don't know. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. 2061. Pretty close. That's the next time we'll get to see uh, Halley's beautiful face. How much do you think a full NASA spacesuit costs? 
Off the rack, or are you talking about customized? Um, I only have full NASA spacesuit. I'll, I'll say, I'll say like fifty thousand. Okay, Jason Clark. Million two. Twelve million dollars, folks. What? A full NASA spacesuit is twelve million bucks. So save up if you're trying to make your own <laughs> space company. Whoa. By the way, can't we do those better? Like, I, I haven't seen a, a much of an improvement on the design, except in science fiction. Like, I thought those suits they had in Passengers looked pretty good, but yeah, you know. What do they? I don't even know what they look like in spacesuits. They're, they're the ones that, that they did the spacewalks on the shuttle, right? Those those are them. Yep, those are them. Um, this is according to planet.org or theplanets.org, I think. So if you have any issues, take them up with them, not me. They need a designer. They they, they need a better designer. Let's face it. Yeah, Lululemon. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's got to get into that game. Um, Okay, obviously, um, there's footprints on the moon. So for anybody listening that thinks it was a hoax, that's not true. I've I've, uh, talked to people and they've... Well, I, I can't say that I've been there. So maybe it is a hoax. But... If you accept that there's footprints on the moon, when, uh, how long are they estimated to remain intact? Well, it, mm. I'm assuming that if they, I don't know, <laughs> I feel like they would just stay there <laughs> because there's not like, there's not something to wash over them, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Like, Brian's guess is infinite. I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, exactly. There's, there's not much disturbance or disruption. We don't see any dust storms up there. And so... I would say that uh, they would be there for thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah, you're you're both pretty much right. A hundred million years, and it's because of what you said that there there isn't there stuff ain't stuff ain't moving around up there. There's this scene in the movie where Jennifer Lawrence is swimming, and the gravity uh, gets initiated wrongly, and she's like floating in this ball of water. Do we know of any floating water in space? You mean free floating? Free floating. Uh, I know nothing about that. Does that um, if if water was in space though, there would have to be like a source for it, right? So would that? Um, I don't know where that water would come from. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have no. a thought on this. I I, I think um, which planet is Enceladus a moon of? I'm not sure which one. Enceladus is an ice planet, and underneath the ice, the speculation is there's water, and that was recently confirmed by one of our robot emissaries that went out there and saw it. They saw these geysers of water that were shooting off of the poles. The assumption uh, is that, I don't know what caused the pressure in the underground or under ice ocean to crack up, but these geysers went up into space, and so that was water. Honestly, I don't know in the vacuum of space what water would turn to ice pretty quickly. And that's, you know, there's a lot of comets that are ice and the ice tails of comets. So it, it would be water that would be heated by a star or sun and close enough to be melted or by the internal pressure of a planet, you know, uh, under that ice. And that's the only place I know that there's that at least hmm. the water when it escapes the planet is water for some period of time. Well, I got to look that up. That sounds fascinating. I did not know about that, um, as I don't know about pretty much anything in life. So astronomers have found a massive water vapor cloud, which holds 140 trillion times the mass of water in the Earth's oceans, somewhere 10 billion light years away, uh, making it the largest discovery of water ever found. So I thought that was pretty frigging crazy. Wow. I'll think of that the next route. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Here's a question for you. I was terrified by her swimming in that water and that you can't escape the water. And she can move her mass against the mass of the water, but the water keeps moving in this free... I I actually, I enjoyed that sequence, even though I believe the science is probably a little bit corrupted. Yeah. Did that freak you out, Brian? No, that that completely freaked me out. I wasn't... (laughs) Like, I don't even know what to do in that situation. Like, I don't know. I feel like I would have probably given up because I don't I don't know. <laughs> like, there's not much that you could do. I mean, <laughs> like you're just in a giant bubble of water. I don't you, you can't you can't really get out of that. <laughs> yeah. When gravity is like, I mean, taken into account and it, there's no gra- gravity there. So, like, uh, I would have completely given up. Yeah. After trying to just swim really hard, which. I'm sure she did and is everyone's first impulse. My brain, and this is just proof of how stupid I am, was like, oh, maybe if I hold my breath, I'll like float to the top. And it's like, 
well, of course you're holding your breath. You can't breathe in the water, you jackass. <laughs> That's not an option. So you're screwed. You would drown. I, I would drown. I think that was a very effective scene, and I really enjoyed it. I know that people say, well, listen, the fake gravity is created by centrifugal force as this thing spins. You know, you see the outside of the spacecraft. It's yeah. spinning. So it's pushing stuff against the, uh, it's outside and uh, the way you feel when you're kind of taking a turn in a car and pushed against the door. So that force is what they're using to create the gravity. Mm -hmm. But when it stops, the ship wouldn't stop spinning. I mean, that's a big, that's a, there's a lot of mass spinning. That might take a few minutes for it to slow down. It's like a flywheel. It's not going to just stop because you're stopped feeding the energy to it. Yeah. Therefore, I felt that that water probably would have been stuck in that pool for a little longer than it was. It kind of just popped out. But despite all that science, who cares? Because the scene was fantastic. I thought. Yeah. I'm sure that was one of those situations where they were like, well, we could go science route and make this really accurate. But it is kind of cool to have somebody struggling in a floating ball of water. So let's not look into it too much. Exactly. Yeah. It's a great scene. Yeah. I, don't, yeah, I feel like people wouldn't have like, thought about it that deeply. As far as that goes, because I think just the scene alone captured everybody's attention to the point where they kind of forgot about the science behind it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think that was the right move, actually. And um, OK, I wanted to bring up something else. So when somebody gets injured in this movie or needs to be like evaluated medically, they put them in this thing called the auto doc which is essentially like another pod, you know, you can get analyzed. At one point, they wake up Chris Pratt from when he's basically dead. It is stasis, mm. yeah. Yeah, they, mm. they resuscitate him. Um, and then he talked about putting her in there because he's like, oh, well, I could put you in, into a, an induced state here, uh, you, you know, into a hibernation, and you can just live out your life when we arrive, and I'll just die here. And it's like, why is there just one of these? Yeah. There's 5,000 people yeah, on the ship. Yeah. They're going to be awake for months, they said, before they get somewhere. What if two people are sick? Hey, yeah. I, I got to say, Ethan, you bring up a good point, particularly in light of how this podcast finds the three of us probably all hunkered down at home. Yep. And uh, watching the news about this alien invasion, a virus, but it's like an alien invasion, where the world is under threat by a common enemy. Mm -hmm. And all of us are under the threat of death by this thing. And the reality is, is, you know, we don't have enough pods either. Hopefully this moment in history will teach those guys to have more <laughs> medical pods. Man, I really hope so. We need so much more medical shit in general. And I, I hope this podcast <laughs> and <laughs> more so just what's happening right now teaches everybody that. Um, but since you mentioned aliens, you believe in aliens? I mean, I do that. I believe there's intelligent life form. I mean, I believe there's intelligent life form on the planet that we don't even understand. And that's one of the, the ideas in Cosmos. And if you get into it, oh, it's pretty incredible. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I, yeah. I honestly need to watch Cosmos because I haven't seen a single episode, but my brother keeps telling me about it. But I do think that there is life out there for sure. And I do think that there is like some species that we don't know about here on Earth, too. Yeah. I think that totally. I, think, I mean, just the idea that we're just coming into uh, the realization of kind of tracking the fact that animals communicate on a level that we were un unaware of, and for that matter, plants do too through the mycelium network and map. Yeah, great call. We're making these incredible dis discoveries right now about, and I think it'll help us understand how to listen for signals in space. As uh, mm. as someone said, I mean, somebody could have been trying to reach us for the last ten thousand years from an alien. First of all, it takes forever for sound to travel, you know, mm -hmm. for the light waves to travel that distance. So what if they hung up a while ago? <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, yeah. we haven't reached anybody. I say we quit. And we just realized 100 years ago how to listen. So true. And, you know, if you're interested in podcasts, I would never personally promote a different podcast on a podcast. Um but I have this other podcast with Reese Darby about aliens called Aliens Like Us, which is an exclusive <laughs> Spotify podcast. Reese Darby just breaking down why aliens are real. So definitely check that out if you're into it. Um, but, you know, obviously we'll edit that out because self-promotion is so gross. Um, but I also wanted to talk about sleep because obviously they're sleeping for like whatever, 100 years in this thing. But when they wake up, they all have these like hibernation hangovers where they kind of they're like groggy, I guess it's probably similar to like a real hangover that we experience. But I wanted to ask you guys if you experience that kind of stuff when you like oversleep. Sometimes I find 
you know, if I sleep like 11 hours for whatever reason, then I'm like all groggy and crap the next day. Yeah, I would say that totally. um, I definitely get like that too when I sleep too long. Hibernation hangover. Yeah, and if I do some heavy drinking the night before and then sleep, I wake up, I'm way hungover uh, in, in, and I, I can't seem to pull my uh, lunch. So I have to be very careful about my uh, drinking, particularly when I'm stuck at home. And so right now is a high risk period for me. And in fact, during this podcast, I would say I am in that state. <laughs> You're in the in the hangover state? But you know, the, the groggy, having trouble waking up, oversleep, the overslept kind of, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a period in which that can happen to, to us, you know, because yeah. by six o'clock, you're saying, hey, I haven't left the house in three weeks. Is that vodka? <laughs> <laughs> you know, oddly, oddly enough, I've, I've, never, I've never experienced a hangover. And I've been drunk yeah, before, you but I've, I've never experienced a hangover. But yeah. that, maybe it's because I only drink select, like, alcohol. So I don't know if that has something to do with it. Maybe mm-hmm. I need to like dabble in tequila or like more vodka, but you're a classy boy. Yeah. What I, is your you what's know, your what's your drink right now? Uh Hennessy. Oh, really? Hennessy or yeah, or um what do they call them? Whiskey sours. And I know that's like a with, with a whiskey, but um yeah. I never I never get like hangovers. You haven't drunk enough? You think that's what it is? You don't go, you know, you don't, don't push know it to the limit. It's because I haven't drank enough or if if it's because I need to maybe try a different alcohol. But like there's been times where I done mixed alcohols and I never got like a hangover the next day. Like it was it's strange. Like I've never had a hangover before that. And I've been like I need to super... investigate. <laughs> I need to know your secret. I need to know yeah. your secret because <laughs> I can't have two drinks without getting, I wake up the next day and say, oh, I drank. I know that I had a drink the, the night before. You, you're a specimen, Brian. That's, enjoy that. I, it could change. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that there. I think that it will change eventually. Just as of right now, I know that I have not experienced the well, complete or I've I, never experienced a hangover period. I think it's a great wow. time to, uh, to test it out. You know what I mean? You're in a safe environment. No, you, got a, yeah. you got a bunch of time. So, I mean, I don't know if you're going to do this or not, but I'll just go ahead and promote, like, follow Northview because now he's going to be live streaming himself being more drunk than he's ever been uh, as a test <laughs> to see if he gets hung over. Yeah, that would be... I'm in. I'm following. to tune into. <laughs> yeah, you got two viewers right here, man. I want to watch you uh, drink it. Until you get until you get kind of silly, and then I want to see the next morning. I want to yes. I want you to be live streaming when you wake up. Yeah, immediately start live streaming when you wake up. Yeah, like, oh god, I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, and then you know talk about <laughs> what you drank, and then what you're gonna try. You know, the next night be like, well, I tried mixing tequila and vodka. I had four drinks. I I feel fine. So tonight I'm gonna have eight drinks. You know, that's also a very dangerous thing. I feel like I would get alcohol poisoning very fast. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't know. Have a bunch of water and yeah. you know, eat oranges and stuff. I think we just saw Brian's secret. He's 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 a moderate drinker. He's yeah. he's aware of his moderate. He drinks moderate. Teach that to everybody you know. Yeah, yeah. Please. I need to. Um, I just was wondering. I'm here in isolation, and I'm thinking about the movie Passengers and him mm-hmm. waking up alone. I'm going back to the question you asked earlier about what would you do if you're alone. Yeah. You know, how long does it take that we remain in isolation before we start to feel like the absolute unbearable need to risk, to take the risk to be with other people. That's really, mm. uh, you know, at, that's at the center of that movie. I wonder if that movie had come out now, if it would have been perceived differently. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and, and I think it's probably good that we kind of wrap up because I know uh, we're, we're getting close to the time on just, you know, what people can do. We just did a, an episode about Contagion with some tips, but we didn't really talk about how to remain like, socially sane and i think that that's what's coming to mind with what you're saying like because obviously it's not worth the risk of getting super sick or or dying or get somebody else sick because you you know you don't know that it's in you so i think like all these like zoom meetings you know facetime stuff because in the normal day-to-day life right now everybody would just like text or see their friends where they see them at a party or they see coworkers at work but we have to kind of like make time for that on purpose, you know, like literally schedule, you know, I've been doing little like group hangs with a few friends and we just have to say like, okay, who's free Thursday night, you know, six to seven 30, let's all just get together. I mean, get together, you know, all, all sign in and like, just talk about stuff and, and you know, what you've been watching lately and how you've been feeling. And I think that that hopefully 
will kind of put off the insane need to like go out and like actually make contact with a person. Well, hopefully, um, you know, we see all these great things that are happening, like the Venice canals get clear and dolphins are back in, in Venice and the Beijing, the air is clean. Hopefully, there are things like that and what you're talking about where there's social benefit that's positive too, and also environmental benefit that's positive from this experience. And maybe we can begin to value a little bit more that, mm -hmm. that, that time. But it's a, uh, I, I just, just thinking about passengers, I, I just realized that it is about isolation and how, how much can somebody take. Absolutely. I think too, the exercise part, I, I really enjoyed. And I thought that made way more sense like like you were saying like cuz i just saw it for the first time today so obviously i'm putting it into the context of the pandemic but you know jennifer lawrence wakes up and it's only her and one other guy and they basically know like we're probably doomed we're just going to live our lives on this spaceship but she's still working out every day she's still running around and swimming and i thought that was kind of a cool advice almost like kind of this movie weirdly telling me like hey just cuz you don't have to go anywhere doesn't mean that you need to like put your health on the back burner yeah yeah are you guys doing exercises at home? Or are you doing a bunch of squats? Um, Absolutely. I've been, yeah, we. I've been, I've been looking up uh, a few different exercises. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get back into it. I kind of fell off of it for a while. I'm going to be completely honest, but I've definitely been looking up more exercises that I could do just from home. And I've looked into some equipment that I could just buy that I could just use back here at home, like dumbbells and stuff. Right. Um, I, I was going to just say absolutely not. I'm not doing anything. And, and I'm, I'm every, day, every day I regret it. And I get so depressed that about, about six or seven o'clock, I start drinking because I'm just depressed about not exercising. Yeah. Vicious cycle. Vicious cycle. Yeah. That is not going to help your exercise motivation, my friend. <laughs> Yeah, I've been trying to. I very embarrassingly did this like live dance class thing, which mm, debatable whether that was beneficial or not. I am trying. I, I, I did. I did turn off for like a week or so and just was in this weird place of, you know, what the hell is going on? What comes next? But now it's like, OK, let me create yeah. my own normalcy, you know, my own habits yeah. un until this thing yeah. figures itself out. Yeah, um, for sure. But uh, but yeah. listen, let's tell people, you know, what's going on. Uh, how can they follow you? Obviously, Brian, we're all going to be tuning in to watch you get like crazy wasted and vomit and then wake up totally fine. So how can people do that? <laughs> um, you can follow me at Northview uh, on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, and that's N-R-T-H-V-I-E-W. And... That, I mean, stay tuned because something like that may just be coming. <laughs> so I would love we'll that. See. <laughs> on the, awesome. Yeah, I'm also. I've, I should have mentioned before on the, on a similar boat as far as like there's a weird like alarm or something that goes off in my head when I'm drinking. Where after like two drinks, it, I'm just I can't drink anymore. I just it I I don't know what it is, but I, my body gets into like a fear mode and I shut down and I get really tired too. I'm not a big <laughs> drinker, so I've maybe experienced like one hangover in college. So I'll just join you is, is essentially what I'm saying. I'll just purposefully get too drunk with you to see what our bodies can handle. Uh, so that people can enjoy it. You know, we're, we're doing this out of philanthropy, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> it's not out of boredom. I think drunk podcast is the next step. Okay. We should all schedule, have a drunk podcast, just get totally drunk, <laughs> and we'll talk about science in a way that feels much deeper than it really will turn out to be the next morning. And then we'll have to listen to it back the next day and comment on it. Yeah. Honestly, I, <laughs> I'd be so down for that, but like, I would get to a point where... Like what I would be saying wouldn't even be making sense. That's the best part of the podcast. <laughs> That's the ideal, man. And also, I, I feel like we can tie this in with Cosmos somehow, which obviously everybody needs to watch Cosmos, the new series. Well, Brian, you need to watch the old series first a couple times like yeah, I did yeah, yeah. and then see this new Cosmos Possible Worlds. And maybe we can just watch it while we're getting like trash. We can make like some sort of drinking game out of it, talk about what's going on and then review it the next day. I am all in. I'm it is. The show would be, that's the great thing about Cosmos is that there's so much there and you go on this kind of, you know, incredible adventure, this journey, this great storytelling journey that in any state it's uh it's fun to watch and it's, it's oh, yeah. um it's fun to share with other people. Yeah, I'm going to make some bad pun for this you know cosmopolitan possible worlds i don't know there's something there i'll find it um but uh but yeah jason is there anything else you you know uh, suggest people should uh, check out that you've been working on or is it all cosmos all day 
Well, it's Cosmos. It's a TV show, The Orville, which is coming back for a third season on Hulu. And Cosmos is really, uh, it's out there right now on National Geographic. We're about halfway through the season. It's on Monday nights uh, Whoa. at uh, 9 o'clock, or 8, 8, 8 o'clock, excuse me, on Monday nights. And it, uh, they're running two episodes back to back. Next week is going to be incredible. Um, and then um, coming up here, we're going to be out on Fox, and then it's going to drop digitally when it comes out on Fox. So oh. it's going to be around for a little bit, and it's going to be really um, exciting if you get a chance to uh, to catch it on National Geographic now for its premiere run or otherwise pick it up on digital or on Fox coming up. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Watch it on National Geographic. I've is there a, When it's on Fox, is that part of Hulu? Is that Can I watch it there? Well, interesting. You remember Fox and National Geographic used to be connected, but... Um, the broadcast network of Fox uh, last year stayed for its own thing. And then all the other, the, the studios, including National Geographic, went to Disney. So mm. we originally were going to be the same day and date almost between Fox and National Geographic. But oh. after that, the schedules changed a little bit. So we have the benefit of being like, oh, well, you can watch it in the spring on National Geographic. And you can watch it in the early summer on fox but you know fox's schedule is changing obviously uh uh day to day who who knows um uh what's we could we could arrive sooner than i than i anticipate on fox and then um we'll be on digital platforms all over so awesome i hope everybody gets a chance to see it it's a great season yeah me too um i'm sure it's unbelievable and yeah i'm sure the industry right now is super crazy you think there's going to be like way more animated shows because of this like if it continues for the next few months i just find that it's probably i don't know like impossible to film for a while right to get a bunch of people in a room and film something yeah it's a real uh, it's a look we are in the middle of uh, a sea change in the film and television industry. People aren't going to movie theaters. They're watching everything on streaming services. Um, mm -hmm. But on the uh, on the production side, who knows? Because what they're talking about is if we get control over this, it's going to be a year and a half before there's a potential vaccine to the virus. Right. And in that time frame, how do you film stuff? Uh, because, oh, oh, yeah, during the summer, there could be a, a slowdown in the spread of the virus. But, you know, you're asking film crews and people to travel around the world and make films and television, um, there may, people may be less willing to travel. So right. I think you're going to see an upsurge in domestic production, but you're also, um, you're going to see, it's going to be tricky. It, it's, it's hard to make. So um, I think Brian's show is going to be a hit <laughs> if we can get him to do it. And, and people people turning that on once a week on the Friday night show. Yes. Oh, I can't wait for this show. And I, Thank you guys both so much for joining me today. I had such a blast uh, talking to you guys and talking about this movie. And yeah, hopefully we'll see all of you guys at the premiere of uh, Cosmos Cosmopolitans. I really want a better name. I promise you I'll find it. Um, but, you know, that show we're all going to get wasted and talk about space. And until then... Thank you guys so much and talk to you later. Thank you, man. Looking forward to it. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bad Science is hosted and produced by me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our associate producer is Emily Feld. Our engineer is Jeremy Schmidt. Bad Science is edited by Lucas Bollinger and our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. Shout out to EJ and Kate. And the executive pass inducer is Brett Kushner. Of course. Oh, follow us on Instagram at BadSciencePod. If there's a movie you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email at BadScienceAtSeeker.com. That's BadScienceAtSeeker.com. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver. But it does help. It makes sure people know about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thanks for listening. Bye.